0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So glad you guys are here today. If you're new, um, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a joy that we can gather here again. Our regular rhythm, every seven days we gather uh, to live out the implications of gospel community and mission and uh, that's what we're focusing on in the next three weeks. We have our annual vision series where we unpack what does it mean to be a gospel-centered people, what does it mean to be a people that live in community, and what does it mean to be a people that have a vision for the world outside of ourselves to make disciples and plant churches. And so we're unpacking that in detail every year in these three weeks. And we do that because we're forgetful people. We're forgetful people, so it's not that you're, you're called to come here and like have your mind blown by this new piece of information that you've never heard before. For some of you, that actually might be the case. I hope that it is. If you're new to Christianity, if you're not even a Christian, that may be the case, and I hope that happens. But for many of us, we just need reminders. We need faithful reminders, and that's why we're doing this series every year. So if you have a Bible, um, open it up to Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to simply read the text that we looked at and unpacked last week when it comes to being a people who are centered on the gospel, but today we're going to do something different. We're going to look at the implications of this text that we looked at last week for our life and community, okay? So Philippians 3, starting in verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by God, I'm sorry, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you're going to hear this repeated refrain this morning of verse 9. Be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. So if I don't have a righteousness of my own, but rather righteousness that I need to be accepted by God, perfection that I need to be accepted by God, a wiping away of my sins to be accepted by God, is simply received as a gift, not earned, but it's a gift that I, that, I, that I receive because I trust and I treasure God's word that he has said, what are the implications of that for our life and community? That's the question this morning. Like, how is that going to impact our relationships with one another? How does that contribute to a certain type of community? What should people who don't know anything about church or about us, what should they say about how Church at the Vine looks and feels? Let's consider an illustration Think about if if you were in massive debt, like six-figure debt. You are in a deep financial hole. And you have a very wealthy grandmother, and she sits you down and lets you know that she's been very frugal her whole life, and she has a ton of money in her savings, and she wants to gift you the money that you need to get out of debt. You can imagine that you'd be blown away a sense of relief. I mean, a lot of emotions would come crashing in, I would imagine, at that moment in light of that news, right? She tells you the name of her financial advisor. Just need to call them and set up an appointment. It'll all be taken care of. Like you've been saddled with this burden of financial pressure that's overwhelming and it's it's just gone in an instant. And you get in your car, you drive home. And as you're driving your car on the way home, what do you think you would be thinking about? What if I said to you, this person driving home, they're just simply rehearsing in their minds all the ways that they're awesome. They're just an awesome person. Like, all the good deeds that you did that day. How great of a dresser you are, maybe. How you have so many friends that love you because you're just a great person. Like, does that sound right? Like, that sounds like a disconnect, right? That sounds like a disconnect. Like, you probably think that something was really off with that person. Like, you just received this life-altering gift, gift, implication, didn't earn anything, just received. And the first thing you do is just start to think about yourself more. Praise yourself, ponder your own personal greatness. Like, that would be wrong, but it's also, like, be very unusual, wouldn't it? Like what would most likely happen if you were the recipient of this kind of generosity? You'd be driving home, just thinking about your grandmother and how generous she is and how gracious she is. Like who gives gifts like that? Like you, you're blown away because you never even heard of. You don't know anybody who's received a gift like that. It wasn't. It wasn't even remotely on your radar that when you sat down at her table that she was going to say that? Like what makes a person so lavishly generous like this? Those would be the thoughts that you would have, right? So what's the point here? In light of giving a, g- g- receiving an, an, an amazing gift that you didn't earn, just pure, straight generosity, What's the point? The point is you wouldn't be consumed with yourself. You'd be thinking about the giver, right? You'd be thinking about the giver. So all this boils down real simple, okay? So if, think about it, if my salvation is all about me and my effort and me getting my act together doing a great job if i'm saved due to a righteousness that is my own in contrast to verse 9 that I, that i just conjured up through force of will what's the focus going to be on well obviously the focus is going to be on me right i worked hard i earned it i take pride in my effort my striving my accomplishing i did what i set out to do All those statements are all about me, me and my effort, me and what I do. Look at what I did. But if I'm the recipient of a gift, who's the focus on? The focus is on the giver, the greatness, the goodness of the giver. The giver gets the glory, like we said last week. The Bible says, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. What you're owed is death. Wages is what you're owed. That's how wages work. The wages of sin, what you're owed, is death. Contrast to wages is a gift. But the free gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is what, um, when we really understand salvation as a gift, not earned, This is what it does. This is what it does by the power of God's word and his Holy Spirit in us. It makes us, if we'll allow it, makes us selfless people. It makes us people that aren't consumed with just me, me. I love myself. I have my picture on my shelf. Right? We don't, we don't do that if we understand the grace of God, Right? So here's the question for today. If we're consumed with the greatness and goodness of the giver, that the giver gets the glory, I'm focused on him, what kind of community does that create? What kind of community does that create? If I know that I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, what kind of community does that create? And today we're going to have, I want to just lay out, and make a case for three implications. There could be more, but I'm just going to have us focus on three that I think can make our church really, really beautiful. I think our church is beautiful in these ways, and I want to encourage us to keep heading that direction because God's word and his spirit is alive in us. What kind of community does this create? Number one, it creates a community of humility, a community of equality, and a community of thankfulness. So salvation is by grace and not by works. What does that do in our community? It creates a community of humility, equality, and thankfulness. Verse 9 of Philippians 3, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So if I don't have a righteousness of my own that I earned, that I conjured up, what does that mean? It means that before Christ, set his affection on me. You did not love me, but I loved you, is what Jesus said. Before Christ set his affection on me, his his sovereign, ordaining love to call me before the foundation of the world, it means that before Christ, I was very spiritually poor. I had no money in my spiritual bank account. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, that apart from Christ, we are children of wrath. And then all of a sudden, because God, because of his great mercy, because of the love with which he loved us, Ephesians 2, my bank account was filled with a number with many, many, many zeros, all as a gift. Now, like we've talked about already, does that lead to pride, or does that lead to humility? Like when you were a kid on Christmas Day, And you got gifts from your parents? Did you think to yourself, man, I did my chores. I've been perfectly obedient to my parents. I even put a few quarters in the offering plate at church. I earned these gifts on Christmas Day. I am awesome. Never, right? Or you're a twisted little kid, if that's what you're thinking. Right? No, recipients of a gift are humbled. Are humbled, not prideful. And the more needy you are, the more humble you are in the receiving. Like the grace of God produces humble people. The grace of God doesn't produce swagger. The grace of God doesn't produce arrogance, right? And a large group of people that are collectively humble together, that makes for a really, really cool community. I was struck by this uh, many years ago. When I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, Uh, my sister uh, confessed that she was an alcoholic many years ago, and uh, she started going to AA, and um, I got to be present, I think it was for her one-year sobriety celebration, and so we went to her meeting, uh, her AA meeting, just to celebrate with her, and I'd never been to an AA meeting before. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I would find there. And immediately what struck me is you walk in the room and it's like everybody's welcoming. You don't get the sense that there's pretense. Everybody's nice, gentle. Well, What's going on there? My, my take on it would be that every one of those people have been humbled. What's the first tenet of, of I don't know, the... I've memorized the tenets of AA, but, like, I know the basics are you can't be a part of AA unless step one is admitting I have a problem. I have a very significant problem that I can't handle on my own. So that's kind of the opposite of pride. It's it's humility. And so you have this people gathered in this building, in this meeting, once a week, that have all collectively been humbled really really significantly their lives most of them absolute disaster because of alcohol and they've confessed it and they're like i'm not i'm not going to be prideful i'm going to admit that i need help here i am i need help and i just i just walked away from like man that that community was refreshing no one's like posturing politicking, manipulating, maneuvering. It was just like, here we are. Yeah, welcome. Glad you're here. See, if we understand the grace of God, if we understand Philippians 3.9, the church of Jesus Christ should be the most humble place in the world where people sense that, like what I sensed at the AA meeting. Because we all know Man, I didn't contribute anything to my salvation. It's just a straight gift. I was a mess, really, really a mess, and still am a mess. I'm in process. But I know the grace of God, and it's deeply touched my heart. This doesn't mean that we don't have convictions, but it does mean that the way we share our convictions is going to come with humility. It's going to come with gentleness without a swagger, without arrogance, that that might lend someone to think that we're just all talk and no walk. So not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not earning my salvation through obedience, but receiving it as a gift, what does that create? It creates a humble community. Secondly, what does it create? It creates a community of equality a community of humility, and a community of equality. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So Paul didn't earn it. He's saying it here. He didn't merit it. And by implication, he's teaching these ancient Christians and us that that's how it works for every single person who says that they're a Christian. So if that's true, shouldn't that create a, a community of real equality? And I think a different angle on it with different words can help us understand this. Like, shouldn't that create a community where favoritism is outlawed? Favoritism is outlawed. Favoritism is not a reality in the local church where Where favoritism is abhorred because favoritism is an affront to the gospel of salvation by faith alone and not works. See, if it's by works, then we look around and go, well, who's working the hardest? Well, we're going to favor them. But if your works don't contribute anything, there's no hierarchy. It's flat at the foot of the cross, right? Right? This weekend, I had the opportunity to go to a high school football game uh, in my hometown. And it happened to be homecoming weekend. And homecoming weekend, I didn't know that this was still a thing, because it was a huge deal when I was in high school, and I guess it still is, the homecoming king and queen and their court. And they march them out at halftime, and the big announcement, and... Who's going to be the winner of this popularity contest, right? That's how it was when I was in high school. And they announced that and all the, you know, the kids go crazy and who, you know, it sound, sounded to me based on the applause and the cheering that who they all wanted to win won. And just being there, like I don't hang out in big groups of like high school kids very often, you know, and just being there, um, just like stirred up in me kind of like all those old high school insecurities, you know, of like who are the cool kids. And I, I just got like, sympathized with looking around, you know, because that's kind of my job now is I like survey things. It's like a, like a shepherd. That's what a shepherd does, you know, as a pastor, as I'm a shepherd. So I'm just kind of programmed to like look at the big group and just how are people doing here? And so you know I look around and there's the awkward kids over here and I wonder how they're feeling and there's the the band nerds over here and how are they feeling and you can tell this is the group of the cool kids and and it's like all this pretense flying around and everyone's just trying hard and you know all that stuff is 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 just kind of came flooding back to me cuz that's how it was it's probably how it is for most people in in high school like, who's the most popular And the favoritism is just, you know, it's just part of the the culture in any high school. Like the popular kids were the ones who did well in sports or were naturally beautiful or were naturally funny or came from a wealthy family. It's just another way of describing favoritism, right? So that's alive in all of our hearts. Think about it like this. Imagine, imagine, your favorite celebrity. And imagine your favorite celebrity walks into church. Like, how would we respond to that? Like, we'd all probably turn and look, and there might be some whispering, like, Hey, Brad Pitt's in church today. And he was like, Well, I wonder what he's thinking about these songs, and I wonder what he thinks about how we do Sunday morning and, like, what's he doing here? And just just thinking about all that. But the question would be, like, why would we care so much? We all turn and look. We are wondering what, what he's thinking about church. And is he Christian? Is he not? Does he think we're weird? Now, think of the other extreme. The other extreme would be the homeless person walks into church. And we all do our best to, like, never turn and look. Don't make eye contact. Are they going to do something crazy? Are they going to ask me for money? Am I going to catch a disease from them? Like, we could all relate to this kind of scenario, I think, if we're honest in our hearts. And it just exposes that there's favoritism alive in our hearts. But the gospel by faith alone, apart from works, Reminds everybody, celebrity or homeless, that everybody has to bend the knee to King Jesus. Rich or poor, educated or uneducated, married, single, housed or unhoused, orphaned, family, popular kid at school, not popular kid at school. Like we're all equal at the foot of the cross. So it just kind of cuts the heart out of favoritism, doesn't it? Right? Because that favoritism, you can read more about it in the book of James. He goes hard after it in an ancient church in the book of James in the New Testament. Like the the gospel, Philippians 3 9, cuts the heart out of favoritism and it elevates all of our equality at the foot of the cross. Because favoritism, lack of equality, it destroys healthy community. It really does. And it just makes us look like the world. So, salvation as a gift of God, not earned. What does it create? It creates a a community of humility that's beautiful. It creates a community of equality that's beautiful. And then finally, it creates a community of thankfulness. A community of thankfulness. Verse 9, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law from my effort, from following the rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ, trusting and treasuring him and his work, done for me, given to me, credited to me as a gift. So what does this have to do with thankfulness? Well, think about the opposite of thankfulness. What's the opposite of thankfulness? I would argue that the opposite of thankfulness is a sense of entitlement. A sense of entitlement. Like, if I'm entitled to something, am I thankful when I get it? No. If I'm owed something, am I deeply thankful when I get it? Of course not. Like, that's just my due. If it's owed to me, I'm just getting what's owed to me. What is that? That's justice, right? So I'm not really thankful for that. It's owed to me. So in this sense, think about this. Prideful people are very rarely thankful people. Like, deep down, prideful people feel they're owed something because they're awesome. So what is there to be thankful for? But see, if you know that all of life is a gift, that every breath that we take is a gift of God's mercy, that, that, that God causes the sun to rise and set every single day on the, on the wicked city of Madison, we're reminded that, that thankfulness is right and good. Thankfulness cuts the heart out of a sense of entitlement. So we can get that, but what does that look like in a a community? What does that look like in a church? What does that look like among us? I think it looks like joy. It looks like joy. Like the opposite of that would be people grumbling because nothing is up to their standards. But if you're reminded that you are not owed anything from God other than justice for your sin, but rather you're a recipient of grace, then it's easy for you to be thankful. Like for just the simplest normal things, thankful for a sunny day, Thankful for a drink of water. Thankful for a a hug from your friend or a comfy chair to sit in or a simple meal after church or a nap or relaxing a couple hours on the couch watching the game or being able to travel in your car, enjoy a nice glass of wine, having the city come pick up your garbage. Like, whatever. You can be thankful about anything. And when you're thankful... For all those little things in life that are, that are gifts of God's hands, the, James chapter 1 says the Father of lights gives good gifts to everyone. What does that do? It creates joy. It creates joy. Think about it like this. Like when you receive something by this grace, what's your emotion when you receive that and you say thank you? What's your emotion? Your emotion is usually joy. Like, I'm happy to have received something that I didn't earn. Like almost, If you're genuinely saying thank you, it's almost always a joyful thank you, right? It's not like, oh, thank you. I mean, that's what, when parenting, like, we we tell our kids to say thank you, and oftentimes their heart emotions are not exactly aligned with a joyful heart. Um, So that's common. But Hopefully, if God's grace has has truly touched our hearts, recipient of something that you don't earn produces joy in giving thanks, right? So church is a joy-filled community because we have so much to be thankful for, right? And and, and hear me, it doesn't mean that we are never sad. It doesn't mean that at our we never want this where we're a community of pretense where you slap on the happy face no matter what, cause you better be happy or else, like that's, that's not the gospel either. That's not gospel centered community either. Like we have real emotions and those emotions are, are human and those emotions are present in the Bible. But it does mean that if we are people who are recipients of salvation as a gift, we are people who know how to give thanks. We recognize things to be thankful for everywhere. Because ultimately, the the place where I was the neediest, God has met me there. And so that's what worship is oftentimes on Sunday morning, in singing or in praying or in listening. It's just one big thanksgiving. Thank you, God. And that creates joy. Joy like kids on a Christmas morning getting gifts that they didn't deserve. Joy like like grandma paying for your six-figure debt. That's thankfulness that creates joy, right? So we're found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. What kind of community does this create? What kind of community is this creating? We see this among us. It's happening. It's happening. It creates a community of humility, a community of equality, and a community of thanksgiving. So let's pray that God would continue to do this among us by his word and spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the reality of the gospel and and how when we meditate on it, it changes our hearts. Father, we pray that you would continue to remind us of who we are in you and and what we have received such that it would help us become these things. We need your help, Lord. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we ask for more of your spirit to continue to push us in this direction for your glory and our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.